The message today is about the cultivating part of that, that, that uh, passage in Genesis. That is, the capability of spotting in each other, now watch this, in all people, the wiring that will tell them, these are the questions, why they were made like they were, why they've been through what they have, and what there is yet for them to do in the world. That's how you know purpose. But here's the little arrangement that's just like the God of love, the little arrangement he would make. You can't discover that about yourself by yourself. You can only discover that as you love and are interested in others. You can only see your own gift as you can see their gifts. I read a little quip the other night, and it said this. If, I wrote it down, in order to discover who you are, first learn what everybody else is, you're what's left. I love that. First learn what everybody else is, you're what's left, you're what's missing. Ah, that's the point. Years ago, I was attending this, this conference that had people from, I mean, hundreds of nations there. And I was to give the, the ending um, um, prayer. These were, all, these were Christians from, from uh, not hundreds of them, I mean, but over a hundred nations, close to 200 nations. I was to give the ending prayer. Well, I don't, I don't like to pray just making stuff up. I want God to give me what to pray. And especially at this time, in this gathering, it seemed so important to me. I mean, these were, I love it that this is missionary. We get, get to know the mission. You hug a person with red on. Even if they just have a red shirt, just hug them. That way you won't miss anybody. But, but, you got my, uh, but, but the point is that, that you know, I, these are folks from, I wanted a prayer from God. And it was coming closer and closer to my time. And I was saying, God, give me a prayer. I can get up and make something up, but I don't want to. I want to have your prayer for them. I want you to give me something to say. And on my way up, this is what he said to me. Pray this. God, take me from where you have been in my life to where you are waiting for me in theirs. I've never forgotten that prayer. I've prayed it often. Because that's how God has arranged us. And so, in order to have the ordination, the commission, to recognize and use our own spiritual gifts as we were wired by God for a purpose in this world, we have to be in the business of spotting and affirming them in others. This is the scripture text. It says in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. This is Paul, by the way, writing to Timothy to confirm the gifts in him. Paul was his mentor. 
And this is this young man in the ministry who he will put over the most important church, Ephesus. It's way above Timothy's ability to pastor Ephesus. <laughs> Paul knew that. By the way, he will always get you in over your head. That way you have to depend on him. All right? That's the plan. So here's what he said. And this is the scripture that when I was ordained as a pastor in the United Methodist Church, the bishop, before he laid hands on me, wrote this in my Bible. This is the scripture he wrote in my Bible. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm convinced is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I want you to see something here. Hardly anybody feels permission to exercise with full authority their spiritual gifts unless they've been affirmed by someone they respect. Your words are absolutely critical for activating somebody else's gifts. Paul knew that. This is called a blessing. This is called an ordination, whatever you want to call it. Watch this. Through the laying on my head, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Two things we need to recognize here. Number one, we are raised in a world of fault-finding. Have you noticed that? Our whole world revolves around finding faults and wanting to correct them. Our whole culture is about fault-finding. And it's very difficult to exercise your gift in a world full of fault-finding. We are raised unintentionally by parents and grandparents who mostly spot in us what needs to be corrected. And so therefore, from the time we're very little, 90% of what is said to us is what needs to be improved or fixed or somehow, you know, adjusted. And so we think of ourselves as a traveling group of faults. And for that, we take, we, we make up compensation device, compensation devices. Either we get angry or we withdraw or we blame. Boom. That's another part of our culture. We're blaming everybody for what's going on in our culture. Here's the problem with that. Even if some of the blame is true, it doesn't improve anything. Do you remember that scene in Forrest Gump? Many of you have seen that movie, Forrest Gump, where Jenny goes back and faces that old shack that she was raised in. And in her are the most horrible memories of abuse. And she just picks up rocks. And she starts throwing them, throwing them at her past, throwing them at her hurt. And then she collapses on the ground 
Do you remember what force says? Sometimes there's just not enough rocks. Could I say to you, there's never enough rocks to live in a world of blame. And so God has a different plan, a better plan. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Can I just say the, the first part of that? First part of that verse goes like this, those verses. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't repay evil for evil. But do what is right in all men's view. It goes on to say this. Wait a minute. I have that memorized and I just went blank. What's the next part of that? Don't repeat you. Do what's right in all men's view. Okay, come on. I know half of you have this memorized along with me, but you just, you just froze up just like I did. This is what it says. Okay. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the, oh, no, no. If possible, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So you can't, you can't, you can't take responsibility for what everybody else does. You can only take responsibility for what you do. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And then it goes on to say, never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. And, and it quotes God saying, vengeance is mine, I will repay. See, here's, here's why we got to get out of the vengeance business. We don't do it very well. We, 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 you think you're good at vengeance, you're no good at vengeance. And it just preoccupies you. Leave it to God. He's way better at this. Way better. And he's promised, I'll take care of this. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need, your life, need to live your life in condemnation of anybody. I'll take care of that part. And then it says, don't be, oh, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I remember years ago, I was talking about Michelle Akers. Some of you know who Michelle Akers is. She's a, she was just one of the greatest women's soccer player in the world. And she was a Northlander um, before she moved to another state. And, uh, and so, and it, this was at the time when the women were, were, were winning the, the World Cup. So I said, what does it take to be successful? What's the game plan, you know, as you take the field in soccer? She said something to be very simple. She said, take note of your opponent but don't concentrate on your opponent so much. Don't focus on your opponent so much that you end up playing his game instead of yours. Huh? Yeah. See, that's what we do. We concentrate on things that are wrong so much that we end up playing his game instead of ours. We end up trying to correct everything wrong instead of do what is right, what, what God gave us to do in this world. And so it's important that we see each other and call out of each other those gifts, not the faults, 
the gifts. And in order to do that, we have to look into people's hearts. We can't just see from the outside. We can't settle for the circumstances as they appear. I was, I was walking through an airport one time. Well, I do a lot of walking through a lot of airports. And I saw this really tall person. And this person had to be seven feet tall. Coming, coming through the crowd. I mean, you could see him because he was like this much taller than anybody else that was walking. And as he got closer, he had this t-shirt on. I read this t-shirt. I love this t-shirt. No, I'm not a basketball player. <laughs> That's not all he said. No, I'm not a basketball player. Are you a jockey? <laughs> we got to see beyond the outside. All right? Can't make judgments on the outside. This is what it says in the scriptures. Remember when Samuel was, was choosing, looking for David. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting with verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve, grieve over Saul? Saul had kind of gone off the grid and, 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 and he was trying to, you know, he was hurting for Saul. Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I want you to hear those words. Oil is for anointing. And anointing is not just for healing. It is for commissioning. It is for ordaining. Fill your horn with oil and go. I want you to remember those words. I want you to take those very personally. Fill your horn with oil and go. Now the Lord said to, to uh, I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. Now, as we've been talking about, as God has planted spiritual gifts in each one of us, each one of us that follows Christ, he has already selected you. You are pre-selected to do something in this world that no one else can do. Because he's not positioned anyone else where he's positioned you. So you are pre-selected. All right? Come on with me some more. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature. Because I've rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So he sent and brought him in. This is bringing David in. He, he looked at all the brothers. He said, I, uh, he's not here. You got any other kid? And he said, well, I got a young kid. He's out tending sheep. He said, send for him. So he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes, beautiful eyes and handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. Listen to these words in the midst of his brothers. When you speak a word of affirmation to someone, as often as you can, speak it in the hearing of others. That's very important. Speak it in the hearing of others. That's part of the affirmation. And the Spirit came mightily upon David from that day forward, and Samuel arose and went to Ramah. That is to say, you don't have to stick around always to develop it. But you do have to speak it. 
And so where are we? We need to change our whole mental framing of things from the negative to the positive. I remember a little kid in my last church, I was uh, um, standing there and of course I was a United Methodist pastor so I had all this robes and regalia on and so on and so forth. And, and, uh, and, and these people walked in, the father and the son, walked in and you could just tell them it was the first church, it was the first time in, this, in, our, in that church, but it probably was the first time in any church. And I drew that conclusion when they were walking past the sanctuary, I was just kind of standing in the doorway. They really couldn't see me because there were a bunch of people. I was just kind of watching them. And they're walking along, and the little kid glanced into the sanctuary. And we had a cross, huge cross on the wall. And the kid looks at his dad, and he says, what's with the big plus sign? <laughs> I've never forgotten that. I thought that was the most apt description. You see, by the sacrifice Jesus made, he took away all of the curse. It's a plus sign. We live, our, we live our lives as a plus. We are a plus sign to the world. And so, here's what I want us to do. I want us beginning this week to start calling out people's potential gifts and wiring by their responses to different situations. Becky did this for me this week. She just went down, she's on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook, I don't do social media because I, you know, there's a limited capacity right here. And, uh, and, but she does this and she, so she reads me Facebook stuff sometimes. And she was reading people's response to the massacre. And you can just tell their spiritual gift by their response. You can tell their wiring by their response. Let me, let, me just, let me just share. These are actual responses. Really easy to tell. She saw this response. I have posted a list of several ways you can help in the aftermath of this tragedy. You can tell that person is, is wired for administration. This is just a glimpse of what's going to happen if people don't humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. There's a wiring of a prophet right there. You can just tell it. Teaching. People just need to learn how to love others. And then she read, people need to learn how to take out a terrorist. Well, you know, that's, it's a teacher. It's a teacher, you know. Here's some cash for the victims and their families headed to the blood bank to donate right now. People with the gift of giving don't just, aren't just generous people. They want to give in ways that will really make a difference. I'm just going to go sit near the site and be a listening ear for anyone who needs to talk. That's a person with a gift of mercy. You can just, they just feel it. People must be crushed. Maybe they don't have anybody to talk to. I just need to go. God will sort this out. He hadn't gone anywhere. I trust him to bring good, to trade beauty for ashes in the midst of this tragedy. People with a gift of faith. Encouragement. Orlando's better than this. Orlando's strong. You've seen those. Orlando's strong. You know, that's the end of the coach in all of us. But you see how this works? By somebody's response to this massacre, you can see their wiring. You can see their gift. Call it out. Call it out as we go along. Call it out. These all ought to be elbow sermons, I say. 
That is, if you're sitting in church with someone you know, and I say something that is true for them, elbow them. That's you. That's you. Do the same thing with your friends after church. That's you. All right? But I want to tell you how important your words are. And I'll close with this. This is what Proverbs says about the power of your words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can speak death, you can speak life. Your words can destroy someone, your, your words can give them life. You have that power. James recognized this. When he, when he likened the tongue at first to the rudder of a ship and its destructive power, he said, in the same way, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it boasts a great of great things. Consider how small a spark sets a great forest on fire. The tongue also is a fire, a world of wickedness among the parts of the body. It pollutes the whole person, sets the course of his life on fire, and is itself on fire by hell. That is the power of the tongue that is used in the usual sense in a fault-finding culture. We need to be different. We need to speak life. I, I, we had the funeral several weeks ago of someone I considered a saint in this in this congregation, I learned so much from her. She had battled cancer for 18 years. Can you imagine that? I don't know how many rounds of chemo she went through. And all of us thought she was the strongest person we ever met until her husband got up in that funeral. And this is what he said. Every, everyone thought Lori was strong. She wasn't. She wasn't. She had the same moments of discouragement, the same moments of weakness anyone has. But Lori knew the word of God. You could shout out a number of a psalm and she could tell you exactly what was in that psalm. And every time she was weak, she went to the Word, and it gave her life. Eighteen years. I've got to ask you this question. What about those around you who don't have the Word of God? Where does the Word of life come from? That would be you. That would be me. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this time when we realize this awesome responsibility we have to speak life, to build up and not tear down. This awesome privilege we have to spot the giftedness you have put in people as you made them and call that giftedness out and affirm that giftedness, oh God. Help us do exactly that, we pray. In the word who came into our life, Jesus Christ, amen.